listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. For those of us who are connected regularly to St. Benedict's Table, the saying Merry Christmas in church comes as something of a relief, at least for many, because over the season of Advent, we hold off on those words and we hold off on the singing of Christmas carols. And isn't it good that we can finally say those good words and sing that great music? For those of you who have come tonight as visitors, maybe feeling a little bit like strangers even, a hope that as the evening rolls forward, you will feel that you are here as a welcomed guest. One of the things that comes with being a a downtown church is that we often do have visitors, and not just on an occasion like Christmas Eve. Anyone who comes to St. Ben's on a regular basis will be able to tell you a story or two about how a stranger arrived at the church in our midst on a Sunday night and how that all played out. Sometimes the stranger comes seeking warmth from the cold, hoping maybe to find a bit of food to fill an empty belly. Sometimes the stranger can come with a lot of hurt, a lot of anger, a lot of confusion. And sometimes those things are complicated by the fact that they've been drinking. When that happens on a Sunday night, it can be pretty disarming, disruptive, unsettling. But you still have to keep the doors open, right? Because you just never know. Like the Sunday evening a year or two ago when a young woman wandered in while the musicians were practicing, probably about 5.30, I was getting things set up. And she sat for a bit and then she disappeared. Well, she didn't disappear entirely as we discovered because midway through the communion prayer, I watched every face in the front two pews kind of go, she'd fallen asleep in the choir pews and had woken up two-thirds of the way through the service, sat bolt upright, and looked out to her horror to discover a church full of people. Now, and I didn't know any of this, but I just watched all of these heads do this. It was quite something. But as soon as I realized that this young woman had in fact fallen asleep, what do you suppose my assumption was? Mm, She'd been drinking and had passed out, right? That's what I assumed. What I found out was that in fact she was diabetic and that her blood sugars were all out of kilter. And she'd come into the church because she was facing a really, really difficult situation the next day. And she needed time to be to think, to pray, to be still. And while she was here, she had gone up into that choir space and had fainted because of the blood sugars. No alcohol at all. Well, we managed to give her a little bit of help, right, and get some fruit into her and, and help, help her have space here. But the most significant thing that happened that night was how I was reminded That when the stranger comes in, sometimes the stranger comes in to completely unsettle my assumptions, my judgments. 
Two years ago on Christmas Eve, a different stranger arrived here. He settled himself down sort of about a third of the way back in one of those pews. He sat beside a man who was often here at Christmas time. The stranger took out a little notebook and pen, and he scrawled out a message explaining to that man that he was deaf, that he was from Nova Scotia, stranded in Winnipeg over this holiday time, and really needed $20 for his room for the night. Well, you know, that man slipped this guy a 20. It was Christmas Eve after all. And then at the end of worship and in the midst of the post-service celebrations that will unfold like tonight, he brought the stranger over and introduced him to me and the little notebook came out and I read that same message. Asking again for $20, well, you never know what to think. And every church pastor in the city will have stories to tell you about having been taken in some hard luck story or another, but it was Christmas Eve after all. My wallet was not in my pocket. It was through that door into a room called the sacristy where we keep these fancy clothes that I wear and things like the communion vessels. So I I told the guy just to stay put, that I would see what I could do, and I went through that door, and there's another doorway up uh, two stairs into the sacristy, And I grabbed a 20 from my wallet. I wound my way back through all the people, and I gave it to him. I I decided I wasn't going to second-guess the guy. It's Christmas. A few minutes later, I was standing in the middle of the aisle, pretty much where that lectern is, talking to some people, people all around, milling around and enjoying a little bit of Christmas cheer. And I looked up, and I saw that stranger going through that door. And I thought, oh, what's he up to? So I again wound my way through uh, all of the celebrations, and it's a big celebration. And just as I got through that first door, I saw him pushing through an exit door that leads into the back lane. Excuse me, I said. And he turned around and looked at me. Maybe not so much deaf? Hmm. Well, I stood, and and there was a split second, and I turned my head sideways to look into that sacristy room where the offering baskets were sitting. I saw them there, and then I looked back, and he was gone, off through the door into the night. And I turned, and I went, and I looked in those baskets, and I realized that there was a lot of envelopes gone. I mean, there were still lots of envelopes and bills, donations that had been given, but it was pretty evident that a good handful was gone. My response immediately, angry. Then I felt foolish. I'd been so easily taken. And why did we leave those baskets there? And why did I go through? Oh, you sort of beat yourself up. Then I was resentful. Then I was discouraged. Then I was angry. This is all in the space of about 20 seconds. (laughs) And then I kind of came out into the celebrations, but it's really tough to enjoy the rest of the celebrations when you kind of got this, oh, feeling, right? It, It actually really dogged me for the next few days. Every time I thought about it, 
I get this vaguely hollow, sick feeling in my gut, angry, foolish, resentful, discouraged. I knew that most of what he would have grabbed would have been checks, wouldn't do him any good. We put the word out that checks had been stolen, so maybe you wanted to see if yours was among them, but they'd do him no good. Some cash? How much? I don't know. Maybe $100, if he was lucky. Plus, of course, the $40 that had been given to him. $20 from me, you'll note. It had been Christmas Eve, after all. Slowly I came to the realization that I needed to let go of that resentment because what it was doing was twisting me up. I needed to forgive the guy, even if I never saw him again, because one of the things about forgiveness is the way it releases the forgiver from carrying the burden and the resentment, the anger. It releases the forgiver from getting all twisted up inside. I needed to contend, too, with whatever it was that made that man think that stealing, offering money from a church on Christmas Eve was somehow justifiable. What kind of desperation was that guy living with that made that a logical, reasonable move? And here's something else I began to think about. He didn't take it all. He could have, very easily could have taken it all, could have just grabbed both of the offering baskets and run, easiest thing to have done. But he didn't. So what was that about? Again, a stranger had unsettled my judgments, not in a particularly heartwarming way. It was certainly not the kind of story that anybody would make into a Hallmark Christmas movie. But it still raised this stuff I had to wrestle with. When you really stop and think about it, for all of the poignant beauty that comes with Luke's telling of the nativity, angels and shepherds, the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, it's also a story of judgments being unsettled and assumptions being challenged. By a stranger. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. And in Luke's odd account, it is a strange method that the empire implements. Census takers are not sent from door to door to door, but instead the people are required to return to their ancestral homes. Not for the first time, nor for the last, are people expected to do what an empire bids, whatever the cost. In Luke's telling, this makes Joseph and Mary strangers. For though Bethlehem may have been Joseph's ancestral home, they have no place there to stay, no connections. She's pregnant. She's about to give birth any day now, but empires aren't troubled by such matters. The stable is the best they can do. And when that baby's born, who is it that comes to visit? Shepherds. Themselves strangers of a sort. Hard-working people who lived out on the land with the flocks. 
very much on the margins of a society of religious practice and purity code. You can't follow religious practice and keep pure if you're looking after sheep up in the hills. From the beginning, you see Jesus is a kind of a stranger. In the very different yet parallel birth story carried in Matthew's gospel, a story we will tell when we mark the Feast of Epiphany a week and a half from now, the unsettling nature of this baby comes right to the fore. King Herod, on hearing word from the Magi of a royal birth in Bethlehem, desperate to hold on to his own power, orders an infanticide in Bethlehem. Herod sends death squads in to kill all male children under two. Mary and Joseph escape with their child. They end up as refugees, fleeing from Judea into Egypt. Refugees, strangers thrown onto the mercy of any who would give them hospitality. It will continue to be so all the way through Jesus' ministry. The Word became flesh and lived among us, John proclaims in the opening chapter of his gospel, or as Eugene Peterson freely translates it, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He became one of us in the neighborhood with us. He restored and healed and befriended some of the most broken people imaginable. And yet he remained in a sense, a very real sense, always a stranger. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, Jesus famously said, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And this stranger who is Jesus steadily challenges assumptions and unsettles judgments, religious, social, even political. Then and now, whenever a stranger walks through those doors at the back or comes into our various lives, or when we see the news reports about things like Syrian families fleeing for their lives. Whenever we see the stranger or the other, there is this moment when we need to ask, okay, Jesus, what is it you're about to show us here? Because the stranger always has something to show, sometimes uncomfortable, but there's always something have a blessed and peaceful Christmas season. And if your blessed peace happens to be disrupted by a stranger, remember the words spoken by the angel in so many of these stories, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. For this too is all a part of what it means to encounter the good news of great joy for all people. Merry Christmas, everyone. May you meet the transforming stranger on the way. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
you've been listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For more information on the church or to offer your support for our ministries, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca.